thanks for taking the time. I know this is like super random and I appreciate you being like open to this. So um, my name is Annie. I had no experience in smell, no experience in food or anything, but actually in April, I got COVID and lost my sense of smell, which I shared. And I have been on sort of this journey in the last year plus of trying to find how it influences my other senses. And it led me to food and be really excited about cooking because it was a way to tap into my other senses. So that has been sort of something that I've been sharing online. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk to you about how you think about smell, because it was just not something that I had ever thought about before I lost the ability. So um, if you want to talk a little bit about yourself first, then I'll ask my questions. Wait, you permanently lost your sense of smell? <laughs> or is it like a temporary yeah. thing? Well, it's been since April of 2020, and it hasn't come back. So I mean, I don't know if it's considered permanent or considered temporary, but um, has not come back as of yet. So I'm trying not to think about it as permanent or temporary and just, you know, taking each day as it comes. It's wild. Like, I can't <laughs> imagine not being able to smell. Like, hopefully it comes back soon. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. We'll see. Um, but how did you get into this? I've never met anybody who, like, specializes in smell. Let me introduce myself first. So I'm Moses, and I'm a fragrance chemist. Like, I'm a chemistry major. In the nose, there's a lot of receptors that pick up on different molecules as they enter the nose. So I was like, wow, like, what if someone is able to make a universally good-smelling smell that smells good to everyone and has, like, the same effect on how they smell? Because normally how smell works is kind of related to your memory, right. how you perceive it. So, like, some of the smell, like, the same smell as you, but think of it in a negative way while you mm -hmm. think of it as something positive. So I was thinking, like, what if you make, like, the perfect molecule that's able to just be universally good? I don't think it's possible right now. It's something in the back of my mind while I'm doing this perfume stuff. Eventually, I want to do that. People have always told me, like, I, I taste, like, these flavors in food that they don't really notice. I had pizza before. And apparently they put anchovies in the crust. I'm like, wait. And then everyone was like, wait, what? How do you taste anchovy? And then the person who made it was like, yeah, I put anchovies in the crust. So if I have this refined sort of sense of taste, it might translate into smell. Cool. You know, you were talking about memory and how it's so tied to smell. Yeah. I have thought a lot about that because once you lose that sense, it's harder to access those memories. Right. Like really... when we walk into like our grandma's house or like we smell a specific ingredient that is from like something our mother has made that brings us back to certain moments and feelings. And when you don't have that direct access point, it, it's harder to access those memories. So I've been thinking about that connection. You were talking about how you wanted like if different people have different memories of smells that they might react negatively or positively to them again. When you yeah. think about this, like, utopian, amazing smell that everyone would love, would it have to be something that no one has ever smelled before because then they can't have formed memories about it? Is that what you're thinking? So it would be something completely new that doesn't exist right now. Mm -hmm. So technically no one would have smelled it yet. <laughs> okay. And then they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have any memories of it either. Right. So, yeah. But would it be like a combination of different things like lemongrass and rose and cinnamon? Or are you talking like chemically you would make something that people can't, don't know of? 
chemically on like the molecular level yeah oh my god okay that's the hardest part that's crazy okay wait that wasn't even part of my questions okay (laughs) you know that reminds me of something else too people have a lot of trouble describing smells if you keep smelling a smell Mm -hmm. comparing it to other ones like going to like a mixture of something with that smell in it you'll be able to identify it more easily so i started Mm -hmm. doing that it's called the fragrance wheel. So you could describe something as like woody or like floral mm-hmm. based off people's perceptions of those smells already. So that's another problem with scent is that there's, that you can't quantify it. Right. It's based off of like observation. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that too, because people are really trained at describing what they see. I think it's because we're so used to describing like, what something looks like if you were to describe a landscape you might be able to identify things that people you trust people are also experiencing I find that with smell for example you do have to say you know it's woody or it's floral or it's citrus I was at the farmer's market like a couple months ago and they had spearmint and peppermint and I said what's the difference and they like put it in front of me and they're like try and smell it and I was like I can't (laughs) wait I have a question for you like you said um Wait, since you lost your sense of smell, does that affect your taste at all? Oh, absolutely. 100%. That's, that's something else too. Like there are some foods that are so, so based in smell itself. Like anything floral, for example, t- I mean, it doesn't really taste like anything, to be honest. It's like such a fragrance based thing. I can't really taste those very well. So anything with like lavender or rose or matcha, it's like much harder for me to get a taste. And then things that, rely heavily on smell to taste good, like bacon, coffee. I think those are a little difficult at first because you get so much before you eat it. Or like you're brewing coffee in the morning and that scent like opens you up to that moment or like bacon tasted really weird when I first started eating. I like chemically don't understand why, (laughs) but there were definitely things that did not work. And then the experimentation with taste came with what started working. Things with miso or anchovies work really well because they're so strong or anything fermented because fermented has like a level of taste layering. So anything that's vinegar and things like that. So those are things I never liked before, like olives or anything. And now those are things that I respond a little bit better to. Something I was thinking about recently, it's like when you swallow the flap that goes back and forth. Like Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Breathe or you could swallow. Yeah. So apparently there's taste buds on that that specifically taste bitter things. What? I think its purpose is like detecting if acid came out of your stomach because mm. oh, that has a yeah. bitter taste. Totally. But but the effect on like food, if you drink like an IPA or something, mm-hmm. like when you swallow, there's like this sort of bitter taste. Mm-hmm. Like after you swallow, that's the, yeah. the flat. So interesting. Okay, I have to think about that if I ever eat something really bitter then because maybe that'll help me. Hmm. So that might be why you might be responding to those differently now. Like those yeah. like um pickled foods and cool. If if you were to sell this online, what how would you market it to someone who hadn't smelled it before? I'm I'm sort of going from the aspect of like words and language and how they can be inspiring or evocative because for example, I can't smell anything. So like, how would I know <laughs> what's inside that bottle? Or if someone's ordering it online, 
do you go for more like stories like you're standing at the beach and a wave washes over you <laughs> or are you going more for like this is citrus and a dark blah 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 personally i would go for like um so these are like samples of them oh cool like what i what i'm doing so far is i'm giving each one like a personality so the description mm-hmm. would match that personality ah. and that personality is just how they smell Mm-hmm. So, What's this one's personality? Give me a profile. This one? Okay, so number 19. That's okay. Magnolia Oud. Magnolia on the top. So when mm-hmm. you first spray it, it's like a heavy magnolia smell mixed with like floral, other floral fragrances. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a hint of citrus in there from bergamot. And then as you go lower and as it dries, it gets a little more spicy. Mm-hmm. Kind of like tones of cinnamon, oud, cedar, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it gets like as it dries, it gets more sweet. Interesting. You know, while you were talking about like when you first smell something and then it changes as it as time progresses, how much of when you're making these do you think about like time frames? You know, because it's interesting that you don't get everything all at once, and that happens when you taste too, like layering, and tasting. Um, yeah. How do you think about like time when it comes to smells? In number 19, the magnolia evaporates first because it's mixed with a solvent that has a really low boiling point. For that, I, I was considering that the whole time because I wanted people to smell that first. Mm-hmm. And then like the rest of it will be revealed over time. Got it. So the, the thing I think of first is the size of the molecule, the evaporation temperature. And the rest is just like um, how I mix it. <laughs> Like just testing, just testing. Do you think of it as like making a recipe? Like what's the process? Are you like, this is what I want and I need to do it until it becomes that? Or do you think like, let me try that. Mm, It needs more magnolia. And then you add more or like, what, how do you, what's the process? When I first started, it was more just like mixing stuff together and seeing if it smells good together. But then over time, like you develop the sense of what goes good together. So like, for example, like cinnamon and vanilla. Those Mm -hmm. go, I mean, that's, to me, that smells really good. Eventually, you could just like play around with the proportions of each. What about finding a universal smell appeals to you? Because that is a very interesting question because everybody experiences something different as we've discussed. So is it necessary to, or like, what do you find powerful about finding something that everyone will like? It'll change the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's like an afterthought. But originally, I heard this story. It was about this guy. Whenever he walked past people, everyone was just like, wow, this, this is the best smell I ever smelled. It's the most unique thing I've ever smelled in my life. Mm-hmm. So after hearing that, I was like, wait, what if I'm able to make something like that? Feels very utopian. Someday, everyone will. Yeah, someday. <laughs> I mean, um, but if you have a goal that's that ridiculous, eventually you right. can get something close. <laughs> You know, uh, that's, I think that's a really that's beautiful thinking. idea. And I think that's how a lot of like artists work towards something. You know, you have something, you know, it's just your North Star and then you work towards it because it's true. If you were to actually make that, for example, and then you were like, throw up your arms and say like, no, nah, I'm done. How boring would life be? <laughs> like sharing my sense with people is like, I really enjoy that too. Because mm-hmm. you like give someone a sample, they don't know what it is or how it smells at all. And you're like, you're just like, smell this. And they're like, they start describing the scent to you and like what they like about it, what they don't like. It's like that whole process 
it's like really enjoyable to me. Yeah. And it's like it's like sharing something that you made that's kind of unique with someone who's never experienced it before. You know, mixing something that is very special to you or you react strongly to and giving it to someone to experience, that feels like way more intimate than like giving a lot of things, you know? Or like that's how I felt when I first I cooked by myself for a really long time, just for myself, probably the whole year. And then I hosted like a dinner party two months ago where I fed a lot of people. And it was so much scarier than a lot of things I've done in my life. Not like I'm afraid, but just it felt far more vulnerable than like performing or like doing something in front of people. So um I don't know, just reflecting on how that type of sharing is very special. Was it like more like a stressful experience for all these people to taste it or? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a professional flutist. That's what I do outside of doing this interesting thing on the side with food. I guess for me, playing the flute was about honing a specific skill. And I knew what a concert would feel like. You get in front of people and yes, there's nerves. Yes, that's going to be the first time it's ever been heard that way because there's a certain magic in life, live performance. But I was also cooking for myself and there's the sense of taste that was new to me than like hearing something. If I think something tastes good, not everyone thinks it tastes good. And I had been creating these tastes that were so specific to me, you know, with the olives and the miso and the vinegars and the various fruits that I was jarring up and putting in like alcohols, for example, that was special to me and it worked, but I didn't know how other people respond to it. It wasn't that I needed everyone to love what I made, but it felt like I was showing them like how I was experiencing the world in this entire year, which felt very heavy (laughs) or significant and like very unique to myself, which I I don't think I would have felt that way before this experience, just like cooking for people. So how long have you been like experimenting with cooking? Because that's pretty interesting. Well, I think I started because A, I was bored. (laughs) <laughs> and B, I was like, and eating is a little bit miserable right now. And I keep focusing on what I like to eat before. So I have to experiment to some extent. Um, so I was very much just like cooking after work hours and trying to figure out what was working for me and following recipes. It wasn't something I thought was like, this isn't anything. But over time, it just, you know, you have to do it three times a day. I got to eat and I got to cook. So it just became fun. And then I needed to focus on like, okay, this is working tomorrow. I get to try again and do something else and like try again and try something else. So, and then slowly you start figuring out, you know, what works for you and other things you can think about. So I came to this with basically this personal experience and then realized, you know, if I go to the farmer's market, there's so many more amazing vegetables and fruits I'd never seen before and like tastes I'd never tasted. So then I tried that. And then after doing that, I was like, maybe I should grow my own things. So then I started growing my own things, and like pickling my own things. And then after I did that, I was like, okay, if I'm growing my own things and pickling my own things, that takes a lot of effort and time. So like, I don't want to waste anything. So maybe I got to compost. <laughs> so it just became this whole network of how I experience the world. So cooking is a very small aspect of that. It's like what grounds that story. But I think it represents just the way that I'm moving through my life now. Um, which is why I like talking to people about how they see the senses. And I guess my closing question for you is sort of to like, I never cared to think about my senses, to be completely honest. And like, I consider myself an artist in many ways, 
Like I do visual art, I do music, which is like hearing and sight, but smell and taste were just not important to me or things that I thought about. My closing question to you is, you know, what would you say to people who are exploring their senses and how would you encourage them to explore them further? Just try new things. Like that's how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't smell something. I mean, you've never smelled something before. So you you could, like, and if you smell something new, it'll open up like your, I guess the horizon for sense you would smell in the future. That's kind of how it worked for me. Like I started with rose and then eventually I was like, oh, wow, there's all these other smells that smell really good. So I guess for like other senses too, find something that you like a lot and then build off of that. Try to find similar things and eventually you'll end up somewhere completely different. Yeah. Oh, that's my answer too. You know, you try and you try again and don't be afraid to like, to not like something and then make a decision about it. Maybe the real difference is that people do have to try when they eat. They're like, okay, this is what I eat and this is what I like smelling. A lot of people don't bother to be experimental in how they go through these things. And it's pretty amazing to encounter new smells. Like I'm going to look up that smell you just said with a lot of vowels. <laughs> A-O-U-D. Yeah, yeah, I know. I have it on recording. I'm going to look it up. I cannot smell it, unfortunately, but maybe I can find some sort of food that relates to it or someone can write me a poem about it.